Today on The Topping Show, Matt Walsh is hacked. Fox News pays a $787 million settlement. Ford Blar drops Bud Light. Ron DeSantis roasts Bud Light. Volkswagen is the first foreign car company to qualify for the U.S. EV tax credit. IKEA expands in the United States. Apple expands with their first store in India. And ESPN to start layoffs. All that and much, much more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for tuning in today. Today's episode of The Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder at least twice a day. Can't say, quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, that's the joke. Now, if you're an IT leader or business owner, you get those assistance, you can reach them at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now, going on to the business part of the podcast, you have IKEA expanding into the United States, traditionally one of the more conservative company in terms of their expansion. They're quite the opposite of McDonald's in terms of the number of locations. They usually have the literally limited number of locations, but extremely large settings, which is, you talk to folks and Ikea is an experience in and of itself. People make a day of it, because traditionally, because there's less stores, you have to drive to get there. You get the nice, all the little fun Ikea Swedish food that they have. A little background, it's a, obviously a Swedish-based company founded in 1943. A really cool thing about the founder, until the day he died, he apparently lived in the same humble home most of his life, and all of his furniture was IKEA furniture. So talk about drinking your own champagne. Now, they are planning to open 17 new outlets in the United States over three years, which is a huge rollout, and is also a cliche or going against the grain of everyone saying retail is dead, which it certainly is not. Retail is always just evolving. Now it's just evolving at a faster rate, thanks to all the technologies we use. And as long as you have a strong business proposal and you have a compelling reason to get customers to go in the door, your retail brick and mortar will expand. And of course, you do have to have a hybrid approach with e-commerce capabilities. Some of the sites they noted are gonna be more of a premium service where they're calling it a plan and order point where a customer will be able to go in and talk to a consultant to actually design a custom layout for their place so it sounds like they're going to go with the expansion into more of the premium market in that way. Whereas traditionally, if you go to Ikea, at least granted it's been decades, I usually, I like to make my own furniture. 100% made in USA. This is 150 year old barnwood. And then we just took some epoxy, put it on top, put some cool old American silver coins and little wooden knots. Fun experience. Nevertheless, I know some folks just like to assemble their furniture, in which case Ikea provides an exceptional ROI traditionally sometimes stuff breaks but that's part of life now is also one of those interesting notes this is going to create about 2,000 jobs which is also great for most of everyone now in terms of geographic locations most of these stores are going to be located in the southern United States which makes sense when you look at pretty much every business person is moving south and that's due, due to a myriad of reasons one of which is being tax incentives and cost of living. You look at how much money these businesses are moving, saving, moving to Florida, Texas. It's an astronomical, you're talking billions of dollars. Just Tesla moving from California to Texas or Austin, Texas, they're still saving countless numbers and countless dollars that if you're a publicly traded company, you would think they have a fiduciary responsibility. You should be doing that so you can reinvest that into research and development, employees, and customer satisfaction. So there's many good reasons for moving down south. Also, 
less snow. I pay, I've shoveled snow. I pay my dues, and thankfully, it usually only snows down south once in a blue moon. You know, I have an ice storm, which is precarious and not that great, but less frequent than up north, thankfully. So it's nice to see that there are some jobs being created and retail actually expanding in the United States in the current climate, especially with hyperinflation, a lot of folks are losing their jobs. So it's nice to have a positive business note for first time in a little bit when it comes to retail. Now, other interesting retail news, Apple just opened their first retail store in India, which I had to reread a couple of articles when I was researching this because I was astounded that given the size of the market in India with literally billions of customers or potential customers, how do they not already have their own stores? Now, if you read into the articles and dig into them, you'll find it's actually their first standalone store. So you can still go to a reseller, such as when you think of third-party resellers, you have Target, Walmart, Best Buy, where it's not Apple, they carry Apple's products or a reseller for Apple. Now, if you think of an Apple store in the United States, there's many of them. You see them in strip malls, high-end locations, and it's a standalone store that Apple, they themselves own, operate, and it is an Apple store. Now, the reason they didn't have that for quite some time in India, it actually is a law. So there's an Indian government that passed the law that requires a company that manufactures around 30% of their products in the country before they're allowed to open a single brand store, which is traditionally what in the United States we call the Apple store, where it is, again, one brand, they own it. Now, this is a brilliant way for India to lure in manufacturing, which more and more folks are leaving China, partially due to the COVID lockdowns, where Apple in particular, their supply chain was just cut into nothing since over at the time, an overwhelming majority of their iPhones were created, manufactured in China with collaboration, of course, with Foxconn being the most, one of the largest electronic conglomerates out there when it comes to actual assembly and the actual creation of the devices. Now, it's a great way to lure jobs and businesses to India. So it's a smart move on their part because now I believe their iPhone production went from 1% to 7% last year or within the past 12 months. It's an astronomical amount of growth of the iPhone production, which is their premium product that, I guess, yes, you have people who buy their computers, but by number of units sold, I would guess the iPhone would be a greater consumable product. So it's interesting to see them over the store. It was a really great PR in terms of they had the CEO, Tim Cook, go out there, made a couple of the Apple fanboys show up with like a vintage, one of the best pictures is actually a guy who showed up with a vintage 1980s Macintosh, and I believe it was a 1987 Apple Macintosh XSE, and the guy, of course, was wearing the traditional Steve Jobs gray, or rather black, turtleneck. And he got a picture with Tim Cook, which is kind of cool. And it's really appreciated to see Tim Cook excited about the technology. Like when he, he had a little video on the Twitter and it showed, you know, he was opening up the store. And as soon as he saw that vintage Macintosh, his eyes just lit up like a Christmas tree. He was really exuberant about the experience. So it's excellent to see Apple. If you're, shoot yeah, I'm not an investment banker by any means necessary, but their shareholders have to be happy to see this exponential growth with so much potential in that country. Now, unfortunately, going to the sad part of the business news, you have ESPN announced that they're going to have layoffs next week. This, of course, is part of the Disney's largest plan to lay off about 7,000 employees under their CEO, Bob Iger's plan to try to make the company profitable and turn it around. And this will take place in three rounds of layoffs. The cuts will include on-air talent, quote-unquote, I use quote unquote because some of them, I debate how much talent they really have. And a lot of folks I know who used to be very passionate into sports and watching ESPN, they actually 
kind of got soured after ESPN started to inject political ideologies and philosophies. And of course, it was one, most of the time, one-sided. So it's even more boring when you don't have more than one point of view. It's just, you're just being preached at at that point. I always am much more interested when you have both sides debating or at least trying to debate philosophical ideals. Now, ESPN is also, this is, they're to cut costs, but another big cost that's going to come right around the corner is the contract for the NBA. So they're most likely going to renew their NBA contract, and that, I believe, next year is going to cost estimates about $1.4 billion to get those streaming rights, which is a big chunk of change. Granted, it's a profitable idea since once you buy that, you have the exclusive rights to stream that content. And that's where ESPN, they have that right. So they'll go to your manufacturers and your advertisers like, you know, Pepsi, Coca-Cola, you know, Coors Light. It'll go to those companies and say, hey, if you want to be on our streaming platform so you could have your logo slapped on this game or the commercials, of course, is where a lot of money is made, that money goes to ESPN. Now, I wasn't able to find an article to actually talk about the profit margin that is usually in those types of situations. Nevertheless, it's an important contract to have. And it might be hard for ESPN because they actually also noted they plan to cut about $5.5 billion of that cut that they want to make fiscally. They also want to, part of that is going to be a $3 billion cut in content spending. And you also have YouTube Google to compete with against because YouTube Google just got the rights for the NFL Sunday package to further the adoption of YouTube Plus or YouTube TV, whatever they call it, streaming service that. Now, if you want to watch the you know Sunday game, you need to buy that package or go to a bar that, ha- that pays for that streaming rights. And if you get in a bidding war with Google, you're not going to win. Disney pl- Disney is huge. Granted, I believe their market cap is around $200 billion or something astronomical. But they've been struggling for quite some time. And if they need to, they want to cut content cost. It'll be hard if they're going up against Google and they just bid it up to the point where ESPN cannot compete. So it'll be interesting to see what's the long-term viability of ESPN as you are having more and more competition from independent outlets such as the Daily Wire. And there's a lot more choices to be made these days. It'll be interesting to see what's the long-term investment of ESPN. Now, going on to the culture part of the podcast which is also something I found especially interesting this week. So in the culture part, you have Matt Walsh being hacked, which given my background in IT security, I find especially fascinating. Now, Matt Walsh, for those who don't know, he's a conservative commentator, best known for his documentary he made called What is a Woman? He is on YouTube. He also is on Twitter. And of course, he is a employee of the Daily Wire, a conservative media company based out of Nashville, Tennessee. So he's been around for quite some time. He has a lot of pushback from the far left and the left because he is... His philosophies are not in line with the trans philosophies, so he pushes back on that particular ideology, and a lot of people have a great disdain for him and actually make a lot of physical threats to him, which is ironic since many of those people say they want to accept everyone. Nevertheless, now, not only was his Twitter hacked, it sounds as if his whole phone was hacked, and there's a lot of suspicions if it was just a simple SIM clone, where they clone the SIM card that you have as little card looks about the size of when you have your chip and your credit card the little thing you slide to your phone to identify you now some people are speculating that they cloned the sim card there's some people are debating well did he just leave his phone at the gym and this person who hacked him pretty much wrecked havoc on all his social media outlets 
And in particular, they had his Twitter hacked to promote a song about two men in a relationships, which is against Matt's biblical philosophy. And the hacker actually impersonated Matt. Now, he was tweeting saying his pronouns were that slash the N-word, although they used an A. And the other tweets he said was that the Tate brothers were guilty. And they also tweeted that Ben Shapiro was a closeted man who prefers men in social companies, some might say. Ben Shapiro being one of the founders of The Daily Wire and, of course, being Matt's boss. And another hack that they almost said, the hacker also has tweeted, quote, my Twitter isn't hacked, it's just the real me coming out. And the concerning part was that tweet was accompanied with a picture, and that picture showed the iPhone screen with content suggesting that the person has complete control over either Matt's physical device or the actual phone, or they clone the phone and they still have access to everything he does from his Twitter DMs, text messages, social media plugins. So probably not the best prudent decision, especially on the hacker part, to reveal that much, to reveal that much information because now people know how far the rabbit hole goes down, so to say. And the hacker also said, quote, I'm leaking DMs soon. Now that's quite concerning to have your privacy completely utterly eviscerated and it's going to be all out there although given how much hate and disdain is put towards matt i don't know how much worse it could get whatever comes out of his dms he already has so ben shapiro actually came out and he tweeted that matt has had to double and increase his he has to exponentially increase his security so his family has received so many death threats and harms and violence threats they have physical security around their house near 24 7 so he's taking a lot of heat, and it's interesting to see you don't see these types of hacks or daily celebrated. They usually actually don't happen on the left side of the political aisle. And that's another concerning and disappointing thing to see so many people exuberantly happy that someone is going through such a difficult, frustrating situation, to say the least. And it's also a security situation as well. It's just... Kind of a little disappointment on the current state of humanity to have such a side revel in the chaos. Now, once Matt got his Twitter back, so he regained control of his account, he quoted, or he, he tweeted, quote, Over the last year, my family has been harassed, threatened, doxxed, and now we can add hacked to the list. Apparently, the hacker had an insider who gave him access to my phone. A lot we still know, but a lot we still don't know, but we're finding out and there will be consequences. I have also made a note of the members of the media who are openly solicited stolen information from my phone. There will be consequences. And he goes on to say that there'll be consequences too. Fortunately, we can afford very good lawyers. So quite concerning thing to say, and being doxxed, if you're not familiar with it, that's where your personal address is revealed to the public, which being a political figure as he is, that's quite concerning considering the level of threats he receives on a daily basis. I don't think it's appropriate for anyone to have that type of information revealed in such a malicious way. You had this actually with the Supreme Court recently with the Roe versus Wade decision. They leaked a couple of the addresses of the Supreme Court justices and of course people inappropriately went to their personal home to protest and intimidate them, in my opinion. Which is quite disgusting. There's a time and place. If you're a public official, I would say the public buildings are where you go to promulgate your disdain with a particular ideal of theirs or ruling go to hobby lobby buy a poster board 
just don't get violent and don't go to someone's personal house to intimidate them. I don't, it's astonishing to see such a disappointing amount of people celebrate that particular those actions. So needless to say, when it goes to the insider threat with my IT company, that is one of the biggest threats that is hard to guard against. And maybe this means Daily Wire needs to vet their employees better in terms of ensuring that they have a cohesive or similar political ideology and they're not getting a job there to maliciously destroy the company from the inside. And IT security is extremely, it is the ultimate cat and mouse game. There's a lot of variables, there's a lot of levers you could probably also, there's social engineering, which is basically having people tell you the information you need without them realizing it. And you can also spoof or social engineer your telephone providers and your internet service providers or ISPs to have them do some things that an employee might believe you're that person on the phone and you might have, thanks to social engineering or just researching on the web, you might have answers to the security questions and they themselves might be the security vulnerability. And unfortunately, there is just weaknesses throughout that process. You can try to bolster it as much as you can, but the human error and malicious actors will always exist. So you really need to think, how do you guard against that? And how do you try your best to ensure that things like this don't happen again in the future? Now, other interesting cultural news, you had a Central Florida bar dropping Bud Light. Now, specifically, it was Grill's Seafood Deck and Tiki Bar in Port Canaveral. The owner declined an interview, but referred to their Facebook post, which read, quote, we made the decision to remove Bud Light because of their support of something that we directly that is in direct opposition to our biblical faith. We believe that transgenderism is a social experiment causing irreversible damage to a growing population of younger and younger children. We do not align with it in any way, unquote. And this will by no means be the last bar that protests Anheuser-Busch parent company of Bud Light, which is also a subsidiary of InBev based in Belgium, which is a global conglomerate owning, controlling over 50 brands of beer. Now, you're going to see more and more of these bars, I think, push back and protest Bud Light, partially for biblical reasons, but also because of their consumer base. And one of the most important things that a bit, whatever business you have, whether you're making shoelaces, beer, or heck, if you're just making shoe, whatever you can think of, mowing lawns, most important thing is know your customers. Know your customers, facilitate their needs, and exceed their expectations. And if this bar realizes that, not only the only personal belief, a lot of bars are going to realize, well, what if 88% of my customers are offended by this Bud Light publicity stunt, whether they endorsed Dylan Mulvaney? as a spokesperson for their product and talk about a great way to make money. I think Dylan made a hundred grand from that one picture holding the custom can or bottle, aluminum bottle of Bud Light. But nevertheless, there are people who do disagree with that. And now these bar owners are put in a very precarious situation. If they do nothing, that could be signaled as an endorsement of that particular action of Bud Light. And you might have natural attrition in customers, AKA they leave you without telling you, and some of them might straight up protest you. And then if you do protest Bud Light, you'll have a couple customers also who don't like that decision. So they're gonna to have to do this some calculations, not only morally internally, what do they believe in, but also what do their customers believe in and how could they facilitate those needs. And it's a very tricky, tricky situation because perhaps rose-tinted glasses, but you know, back in the day, politics and business were more separated. They're never 100%, but individual businesses traditionally didn't seem to have to make political statements and make decisions based in a large part by politics. So it is, in, it is interesting to see the increasing boycott of Bud Light. 
Again, we'll see what the real fiscal results are once the publicly traded company releases their quarterly statements. That's when you'll really know the, we have a lot of anecdotal evidence, uh, even at my own local shops when I'm getting groceries at the Walmart or whatever Target or whatever store you choose. Anecdotally, I've seen the same astonishingly large amount of Bud Light and other Anheuser-Busch products when I'm in the store and I see their competitors, such as Coors Light, that shelf is completely bare as in there's nothing there because people bought it all. So again, we'll see long-term, it'll be fascinating to see what kind of business case this is. It may very well be a bigger business blunder than when Coca-Cola tried to introduce new Coke and they're gonna kill the, the traditional recipe and cause the greatest backlash in beverage history, I believe. Now, going on to the politics part of the podcast, you have Ron DeSantis roasting Bud Light as well. So Ron DeSantis famously is the governor from Florida a lot of speculation is if he's going to run for president. He has not officially announced that yet. Right now, the forerunner for the Republican Party seems to be Trump. And there's a couple, I believe, Ramas, Rama, or Ramaswamy. Also, he's a pharmaceutical entrepreneur. He threw his hat in the ring. So you have a couple. But right now, a lot of the polls are saying you know Trump leads the preliminary for the Republican Party at the moment. Now, Ron DeSantis released a parody video. Now of the classic Bud Light Real Men of Genius, which was a hilarious comical ad from, I believe it was the 90s, where you have real, it, it was a, not, I won't even attempt to do the voice, you'll hear the parody in a minute, but basically parodying, you know, ideas guys come up with and saluting them. Now, in the video, it highlights a number of athletes who have transitioned, such as Leah Thomas, who is a college swimmer. He, he was the 400th something best swimmer but once he transitioned, Leia became the number one swimmer in the women's category. Now, I'll go ahead and I'll play this clip for us. Dean DeSantis presents Real Man of Women's Sports. Today, we recognize the men who've hacked the system. Hacked the system. Once mediocre in the men's division, now cream of the crop in the women. Now, in the video, you're seeing a biological man in the I believe this is the MMA or UFC beat the hell out of a woman a biological woman and that was a big as a situation where no one knew that per, this person transitioned and of course you have a huge frame and years of testosterone there's a big advantage and brutally beat his opponent from mediocre to champion you couldn't cut it with the boys so you pushed women off the podium real man still first place because without you sports would be fair without you women's sports would be for well women so a pretty very viral video and especially if you keep it short entertaining it has about 4,667 likes 300,000 views and if you look at it I do not believe it's been ratioed as far as I can tell so there's more likes and loves or whatever the heart things are called for the video than any of the responses and you also have DeSantis he was riding along in a car and someone was asking him you know what does he think of the situation and Ron DeSantis noted quote why would you want to drink Bud Light I mean honestly that's like rubbing our faces in it and it's like these companies that do that if they never really have any response, then they're just going to keep doing this. This is one where if you don't have a conservative beer drinker, you're going to feel that, unquote. So he's injected his, I don't know, perhaps not injected, someone asked him a simple question in a car. But his ideals about the whole situation are now out there 
which may or may not hurt or accelerate his presidential nominee if he does decide to throw a hat in, his, in the ring, as many speculate he will. Now, other interesting political news, which is always fascinating when you have the politics and the business everything come together, you have Volkswagen being the first foreign automotive company to qualify for the U.S. EV tax credit. Now, this is just a couple days after the Biden administration had revealed a list of qualifications behind what your vehicle needs to contain and what it qualifies to get that $7,500 tax credit from the government. Now, most of the vehicles before were, you know, Tesla, Ford, GM, and they stipulated that many of the materials had to be sourced in the U.S. or a U.S. traded partner. And in particular, this is a Volkswagen ID period four or ID four. And that was added to the list a couple of days ago, according to the U.S. Treasury Department. That vehicle is currently built in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Now, this will help perhaps get rid of some of the concerns that some manufacturers have that it was a set of rules to highly favor U.S. automotive manufacturers, which, yeah, it's one of those things where every other country does it and it helps your local economy, but it also goes against a free market. Kind of pros and cons, depending on how you look at it. Now, going on to the business blunder of the day, which perhaps is the business blunder of the year, at least on a fiscal level, Fox News just agreed to settle a lawsuit with Dominion Voting Systems for $787 million. I had no idea Fox had so much cash to spend. Because if that's how much they had to settle, that's obviously not going to put them out of business. Now, this is, according to my research, it's the largest settlement in media history. And this came from a settlement in which they wanted to avoid the trial. They originally sued by Dominion Voting Systems for $1.6 billion, which is astronomical. I don't know how. It'd be fascinating to see where the hell they came up with that astronomically high number. Now, in terms of the history of Fox News, I was wondering, how much do they really make a year? So. Last year, in 2022, their revenue, not profit, but their revenue was $13.974 billion. And rumor is they have about $4 million in cash, or, which is, that'd be a nice problem to have at their resources. Now, Dominion bought this lawsuit against Fox News and his parent company, Fox Corp, in March 2021 for defamation. They were accusing the news outlet, uh, outlet of harming its reputation by airing... Pre former President Donald Trump and his attorneys with their claims that Dominion's voting machines were used to rig the 2020 election. And they didn't have any evidence to back it up. They were giving their opinion at the time. Now, Fox News argued, they were arguing that the accusations were that having Trump and his attorney on there, those accusations against the Dominion voting machines were newsworthy. And as a news outlet, they should have the privilege under the First Amendment to have that type of data out there and to give that perspective. It would have been, in fact, if this went to court, and one of the reasons they settled was it would have been perhaps a little difficult because you'd have to prove that Fox News knew it was a fact that these machines were not rigged, which, unless you know the source code, which think of the source code as the DNA of a computer or a software program, rather, it's, or think of ingredients when you're making like a tray of cookies proprietary information that gives you access and insight into how it works. Unless you had that exact data and you knew everything about the machines, I don't know if you can know, it'd be hard to argue that person knew it was 100% a fact that the machines were not fixed. That being said, given the evidence we have now, I would, I would lean towards the fact that they were not fixed, 
though there are security vulnerabilities in the systems that hackers could exploit, that's also with every technology ever. So it's one of those situations where they're going to have to argue that. And a lot of people have speculated that Fox News sell it because they did not want their TV personalities and their executives put on the stand to give statements under oath, which may or may not incriminate them and may or may not make the news site look bad. It also it was expected to go over six weeks in terms of the duration of the trial and exhibit 12,000 pieces of evidence. Now, if you're a jury member and you had to watch 12,000 exhibits of Fox News, 12,000, I mean, that would take six weeks, 12,000 instances of Fox News. Fox should have actually taken this case. Cause if, you, if you had someone watch Fox News for six weeks, I mean, they might just all end up Republican overnight. Let's be honest. Like, you have that much data being crammed into you and you have to watch the bloody thing. They might have been hardcore Trump fans after that. Nevertheless, they chose to settle for about half, about half the amount, I believe. So $787 million gone to the public trade, I believe, Dominion voting systems. That much cash just gone. And I could only imagine they didn't make that much of a profit when they were covering the content. Also concerning to the First Amendment and media outlets. Nevertheless, that has to be the business blunder of the day. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. Cannot thank you enough. Don't forget, if you'd like to see more content like this, to like, subscribe, con comment. Also, don't forget to tell your family, tell your coworkers, tell your friends, tell your enemies. Heck, tell anyone and everyone. Just stay safe and fight the good fight.